Last Sunday in the first reading, we were looking at Elijah on top of Mount Horeb as God was speaking to him in a tiny whisper. Elijah was a prophet for 40 years, 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus. Now in this 20th Sunday in ordinary time, we're fast forwarding two centuries to find Isaiah, who was also a prophet for 40 years at a time of war in Israel and Judah when they were evaded by the Assyrians, armies marching from their capital, Nineveh. Isaiah had called the people to repentance. They did not listen. And he also pointed the way towards the coming of the Christ. But he was a mouthpiece. He was the messenger. God didn't interpret for him what he was supposed to tell the people, nor did he tell him when or how these messages would be fulfilled. So even Isaiah would have got excited at the very first sentence of today's reading when God told him, tell the chosen people, salvation is coming soon. Well, that raised the expectations. People thought the Messiah would come in their lifetime. But Isaiah died without that message being fulfilled, and generations of Jews passed before the Messiah came. Perhaps it comes down to what soon means to us as opposed to what soon means to God. Our first pope, St. Peter, said in the New Testament, his second letter, chapter 3, verse 8, For God, a thousand years is like a day, a day is like a thousand years. For God, those eight centuries between Isaiah said the Messiah is coming and Jesus actually arriving, that was like the blink of an eye. But for those who were waiting, for those who were praying, for those who were hoping, for those who were desperate for a Savior, it seemed like an eternity. Many of them lost faith along the way and said, not in my lifetime, maybe in God's lifetime. But it wasn't just the coming of the Christ that Isaiah foretold. Throughout his 66 chapters, Isaiah revealed what kind of things the Messiah would do and what kind of things would happen to the Messiah when he came. It was Isaiah who said, a virgin will be with child. It was Isaiah who said that when the Messiah comes, he's going to help the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, the leper will be cleansed, the blind will see, even the dead will be raised. But it was also Isaiah who said that this Messiah is going to suffer. He referred to him as the suffering servant, that he would be disfigured beyond recognition because of the rejection he was going to experience at the hands of God's chosen people. What does that mean? They were waiting for Messiah, but they're going to reject him? It only makes sense. They had rejected all the prophets who foretold his coming. Today in chapter 56, Isaiah, who has said so much about the Messiah, everything but when he will be born, now tells us who he's coming to save. For the people of Jesus' time who rejected him, they believed that if God chose the Jewish people for the covenant, that God would only choose the Jewish people for salvation. But that was a cherry-picking of which prophets and prophecies from the Hebrew Scriptures they found credible, because Isaiah said it very clearly. God, speaking through Isaiah, made it clear. If any foreigner will keep holy my Sabbath, keep holy my name, and keep holy my covenant, they can come into my house, because my house is a house of prayer for all nations. Isaiah was stating that God's intent was that his son, our Savior, would come to save everyone, not just a select few. This was news to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the scholars of the law. They didn't believe that just anybody could be saved, and they certainly didn't believe that everybody could be saved. They didn't believe that all the Jews could be saved. It'd be better if you were a Pharisee, and not even all of them will be righteous enough or good enough 
We're strong enough to fit through that narrow gate. But Jesus, true to form, he came to satisfy and fulfill all the prophecies of the Hebrew scriptures, including those that announce salvation to the Gentiles. This gospel today in Matthew chapter 15 only makes sense in that context, and it makes even more sense when we understand the conversation Jesus had with the Pharisees just before he meets the Canaanite woman. At the beginning of chapter 15, the Pharisees are at it again. They're after Jesus because they think he and his apostles are outlaws to the outcast. They're not washing enough. They're not washing correctly. They're not being careful to make sure they don't make themselves unclean by what they touch or who they talk to. Jesus then took them to task. He turned the tables on them as he so often does. And he said, listen, gentlemen, it's not what you touch. It's not what goes in that causes you to sin or defiles you. He said, it's what's coming out. And he used very graphic language. What comes out passes into the latrine. He was speaking of the hatred in their hearts that comes forth from their lips. They had no love for God. They had no love for God's people. They really only loved themselves and not even each other. Jesus then turned to Peter just before this passage started. And he told Peter, the Pharisees of the blind, leading the blind into the pit. Meaning the religious elite of Judaism of his time, as far as Jesus was concerned, they weren't leading people to salvation. They were leading them to condemnation. They were going to hell and they were taking other people with them. This then, this whole question about what makes somebody clean or unclean, worthy or unworthy of God's love, sets the stage for the meeting in the district of Tyre and Sidon with the Canaanite woman. For those Pharisees, you weren't supposed to leave Israel or Judah and go into Gentile territories. Jesus did it often. And they broke their own rule by following him there to see what he did. And of all the Gentiles you want to stay away from, the Canaanites are even at a lower rank on the social ladder than the Samaritans. Why? Because they were the natural born enemy of the Israelites for the better part of 2,000 years. Let's remember, way back in Genesis, when God told Abraham to leave Iraq and go through the desert, where was he sending him? To a land flowing with milk and honey, but it was called Canaan. Why? Because the Canaanites lived there. Well, God told Abraham that he was giving that land to him and to his descendants. The only problem was the Canaanites, they didn't get that memo. That wasn't their God and that they were plucked out so Abraham and his people could be installed there. And there was a rivalry down through the ages because both the Canaanites and the Israelites believe that is our land, just as the Israelites and the Palestinians still fight over it to the present day. And so then, from that time on, the Jewish people were not supposed to go among the Canaanites. They were not supposed to have anything to do with them, not even to breathe the same air. Any contact whatsoever would make you unclean, and therefore you could not go up to the temple and fulfill your own Jewish religious obligations. Jesus then, he purposefully crossed the border. He knew he was crossing the line and he did it for a purpose, to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy, to remind the Pharisees that God's house will be a house of prayer for all peoples, not just Pharisees. And yet, when he comes into the presence of the Canaanite woman, he could seemingly care less she calls out to him, son of David. He doesn't pay her any attention. He dismisses her. The disciples dismiss her. The Pharisees dismiss her. But she doesn't give up. She goes nowhere. So great is her determination that Jesus will heal her daughter and cast out that demon. This woman, 
She is persistent and she is persevering. She calls Jesus the son of David. She believes that he is a king. She calls him Lord. She believes that he is her master. And then Matthew tells us she does him homage. She kneels down before him to recognize his kingship and his sovereignty. And then after all this respect that she has shown to him, how does he treat her? After being dismissive, then he becomes insulting. He said, my mission is to the house of Israel. You're not my concern. You're a Gentile. Seemingly, he's saying this to play up to the Pharisees who believe those very things, except they don't believe that Jesus is a God who can save them. But then, because the woman persists, Jesus said it is not right to throw the food of the children to the dogs. He just referred to her as a dog? Well, for centuries in this rivalry that the Canaanites and the Israelites had with one another, those Pharisees who have followed Jesus across enemy lines, that's exactly what they believed the Canaanites to be, and that's what they called them. Complete and total disregard and disrespect. It was racism and it was prejudice. Yes, they referred to them as the wandering dogs in the alleys. The woman, however, she's still not giving up. Insult me however you want. You're God and I want something from you. She said even the dogs will eat the scraps from the table. She'd settle for a crumb as long as Jesus, who is God, was the one who was giving it to her. That will be more than enough for her and for her daughter. And whereas Jesus is completely unimpressed with the great supposed faith and knowledge of the Pharisees, oh, what does he say to this woman? How great is your faith? He's extolling the faith of a Gentile after he just told those who think they're the most faithful that they're going into the pit and leading other people into it with them. And so the Pharisees, once again, are called out and condemned. And a Gentile, she is the one who receives the miracle because where the Jews don't believe that Jesus is God, she who is a Gentile believes not only that he is God, but that he has something for her and for her people too, just as Isaiah said 800 years before. And what was true then is still true now. The Catholic Church is truly intended to be a house of prayer for all nations, for all peoples. That's why Catholic means universal. That's why we have a Catholic Church in every country. That's why we have the Mass in every language, so that we can continue to fulfill that mission, to spread the gospel to new audiences that so desperately need those miracles, just like the Canaanite woman. The key for us is to be welcoming of those peoples. All who are welcome here, as the opening song said, old and young, saint and sinner, rich and poor, we're all one in the eyes of God. We are all sinners in need of salvation. And Jesus, that good shepherd, wants to gather all of us as lambs into his arms. But we're living in a time in history where people only want to talk about the things that separate us, the things we disagree about, the things that divide us. That's modern-day Pharisees that instead of finding ways to bring us together, we're finding ways to build walls to keep people further and further apart. But Jesus is the bridge. He's the bridge between heaven and earth. He's the bridge between darkness and light, and death and new life. And so let us persevere and persist in our faith in him, just like that Canaanite woman, so that that same son of David will have pity on us all.